Welcome to the Songwriter Connection Podcast, where we look at the craft of songwriting through the eyes of a songwriter. Each week, we make a connection with a music maker, listen to their songs, and hear their stories. From Nashville, Tennessee, here's your host, Dave Lenahan. Thank you, and once again, thanks for joining us, downloading the podcast, The Songwriter Connection, and spreading it around. Please do it on your socials. Tell people about it. Today, we've got the guru with us. <laughs> I'm really excited to introduce you to Dave Isaacs, but first, let me tell you about our sponsor. It's Discover Sooner. That is a neat organization, and if you listen to season two of our podcast, you met Nancy Deccan, made a little connection with Nancy. Nancy is a publisher, plugger, songwriter in this town, a wonderful woman, and she started this organization called Discover Sooner sooner. If you're a songwriter like we are, there's a place that helps you get discovered sooner. That's the name. So remember, it's really easy. Discoversooner.com. It, uh, it is hooking up writers that want to collaborate with other writers, but also writers that want to learn more about the craft. Maybe you want to hook up with publishers and other music people. They're all there online for you to discover at Discover Sooner. So after the podcast today, if you put that in your mind to, to click on that and check it out, I'd certainly appreciate that. Well, our guest is uh, Dave Isaacs. And here in Nashville, you know, there's guitar players, right? And then there's guitar players, you know? <laughs> he is the Nashville guru of guitar teachers and an awesome performer himself. And I'm looking forward to spending a little time with him and uh, with you. And we'll talk about things like this here from his new CD just out a few weeks ago. Play a little song from him. Dave Isaacs, our guest on Songwriter Connection. Thank you. 
big wimp But Toto lives if you think about him Yeah, Toto lives when you think about him Toto lives when you think about him Cause everybody knows how the Toto What a cool song. David Isaacs is our guest, the Nashville guitar guru. That's from your new CD. What you call the CD? Chugle. 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 Story behind that? Well, a couple of things. Uh, if you're a CCR fan, there is a yeah. CCR song called Keep on Chuglin'. Chuglin'. And Chuglin' on down. How, do, how does one define that? <laughs> I mean, to me, a chugle, it's just, it's, it's a feeling. It's a fun word to say, first of all. It is. But it's also, I think of CCR in a swampy kind of groove and just the way that that feels. There's a looseness and a swagger, but at the same time, you're not trying to prove anything. We're just feeling good. <laughs> and when we started mixing the record... And I'm listening to the rhythm section. So I had um, Ed Simpson playing drums, Jake Willemaine playing bass. Uh, Jake is actually Clint Black's bass player from years, 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 years ago. Wow. And, uh, and Ed has drum and guitar tech for, for Clint as well. And they go back, well, I don't know how long, but they go back a long time. <laughs> oh, wait. And the thing about rhythm sections is when you take a bass player and a drummer that really know each other, you cannot fake that. You cannot substitute for the solidity of two musicians who not only embrace the support role, but are absolutely in sync about how the other guy is going to go about it. So and there is a thing that happens there that's really cool. And it doesn't matter how good you are up front. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can be the greatest guitar player in the world. If you don't have a good rhythm section, I don't care what you do, nothing's going to sound good. And you can stand up there and do not much of anything when you've got a, a good rhythm section and it's like being carried down the street in a sedan chair. <laughs> like, I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to hang out here and I'm going to go, bah! and you're going to go, yeah! Because it, just, <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm listening to these guys play, and I'm like, a couple of chuglin' mother... And I'm like, all right, this There's is what we got to call it, because it's fun to say. And it's also... This is the most lighthearted record I've ever done, mm -hmm. myself. Because I have... Yeah. I, I'm, I've always been a fairly intense guy, and just as I get older, the intensity is becoming more the things I find fun as opposed to the things that I'm serious about or intimidated by, whatever it is. So this song right here that we just played, yes. the Dodo and the Dodo Crow. And Crow. Yeah. Now, tell me, okay. I heard you uh, describe it as Steely Steely Dave. Dave. <laughs> Steely my my co-writer, Stephen Trombley, uh, oh, described yeah. that when he heard the, the finished song. And Steve and I wrote an EP of mine. My last EP called Late at Night was in 2016. Mm -hmm. And he and I wrote all five of those songs together. Uh -huh. um, and he has since moved to France. Uh, oh. He's been living there for the past several years. And where he, he had some real misfortune. He had a stroke when oh, he no. was over there. Mm. And has been recovering over the last several years. But he met a woman in a stroke survivors group, stroke support group in the Philippines. They got married, and he's moving to the Philippines. In a oh, wow. Bit. So he's counting down the days to paradise, basically, uh, yeah, from man. what he describes it. Yeah. But he and I did a lot of writing together, and 
it was definitely not the, all right, we're going to sit down together Nashville style. We're going to crank out a hit in three hours. Boom. (laughs) And I've never been that guy. Yeah. Um, Partly just because, frankly, I have too many musical options to sort through for me to want to commit to something on the spot. Right. And I like to challenge musical decisions. Like, okay, this is what we decided. Next week, do I still like this? Yeah. You know, or is this, okay, this works, but could we dig a little deeper here? Am I leaning on a cliche? Am I leaning on a musical cliche? We were talking about pop songs. Right. Uh, You made a reference to Rick Beato and his videos on YouTube. I wonder if you were talking about the video about low information music. I remember seeing that one. Yeah. I was talking about that specific I mean, one. <laughs> I'm going to sound very get off my lawn, and it's not even about that. We'll, we'll get into my thoughts about modern music. Yeah. But, you know, I mean that that's a whole thing into itself where it's very easy to just look at, and this is why things like Band in a Box work. Mm-hmm. You can take a musical pattern and say, well, this is broad enough and familiar enough that it's not definitive to anything. So we can use this up and we that can beautiful take it a thousand guitar. different directions without mm-hmm. worrying about who it sounds like because there's 10,000 songs that go... <laughs> Guess! <laughs> of course, it's going right. there. Yeah. One, 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 five, 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 six, minor, four. <laughs> and I'm still waiting for somebody to... Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world I mean, why has nobody done that yet? If you're listening, do it. I know this is a songwriter podcast. Right. <laughs> uh, we're inside the creative mind of Dave okay, who's our guest today. Here's my point, though, that I, I don't want to sit down and write a song and say that's it. If mm-hmm. there's another thing we could do, and here's where it gets interesting, because I hear some songwriters I listen to, and... There are people who are almost superstitious about knowing about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. There's, look, I have a pipeline to this, and I don't really want to ask too many questions about it because I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to mess it up. And And there's a fear that if you know too much about what you're doing, and I'll finish this thought, that is going to put you into a box because then you're going to think you're supposed to follow the rules. Mm. And... People will say this, and, con- and, uh, and and I have to. I'll just go ahead and be blunt about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a guy from Long Island with with an advanced music degree. Mm. Hi, Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we're not going to hold this against you, but the music degree, mm, yeah. we're not sure we like that. Um, it's kind of like, oh, you had to go to school for that. Go to, go to school for that, did you? I can't imagine what a culture shock it was. Well, no, understand that my mother is from Eastern Kentucky. I grew up with family. My mother's mother was born up a holler in Letcher County, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, so growing up in Long Island, I, I at least had an understanding of, wow, there are places that are not like this at all. Hmm. And, um, and you know, I had no concept of, you know, okay, I knew we went south. And I, I understand Louisiana friends, Kentucky, Kentuckians are still Yankees. Okay, I get it. <laughs> but... Yeah, and and my mom went to Vanderbilt, so okay. the connection to Nashville, and I had been coming here quite a bit before we moved. Okay, so yeah, it wasn't truthfully. The culture shock was moving to Long Island when I was eleven. <laughs> okay, put it in the drawer. What's the drawer? What's the drawer? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? What, I don't Flush understand. Ah, this guy, you just can't get it. You know, he's got Maria with the high hair. You know, 
So when did you come back? Uh, you know, uh, I, I moved here in 2005. 05, okay. So uh, literally the weekend that Katrina hit New Orleans. Oh, gosh. Or yeah. like the day after. And at the time, I had a distribution deal with a label in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I, when we were talking about leaving New York, there were two compelling reasons. The, the places there were good reasons to go mm-hmm. were Nashville and New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I love New Orleans. I love the music. I love the culture. I love the food. I love everything about it. The jazz. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is just and mm. and and as a uh, as a melange mongrel myself, it just I resonate with it. And New Orleans is a lot like New York that way. Is it? You know that? Well, just in the sense. I mean, New Orleans, everything is sort of sort of melded more into this blend that, you know, New York, you have this neighborhood, that neighborhood, but everyone's accustomed to being alongside each other. Everybody knows the deal. It's not the same. Yeah. You can't at all say it's this. So, I mean, Louisiana folks, with all respect, aside from the fact that when the whole world thinks your culture's cool, I get it. You can have a little attitude. (laughs) (laughs) And people say the New Yorkers have attitude. Sitting and hanging out in a party in Baton Rouge. Where are you from? New York City. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not. Look, I get it. I, I do. I get that because I I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And people uh, go, oh, yeah. mistake by the lake. Yeah. I, I always. I don't need your pity. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah everyone loves to hate yeah. on Ohio. I yeah, think. they do. I remember driving. My wife and I were on our honeymoon. We were driving out to Colorado and had a CB radio in the car. This is what 1997. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember crossover. We're going to I 80. Crossover from Pennsylvania into Ohio, and I hear a trucker on the radio going, "Ah, oh, darn Buckeye! They ought to just build a bridge over the whole state." <laughs> That's not fair. That's not right. <laughs> Come on, you just hauled through Pennsylvania for how many hours? Now? That's right. <laughs> okay, so what I was going to say about uh, songwriting is that you can absolutely use formulas and still write great songs because the formula is simply a structure. You're talking like um, uh, the physical structure of the song or like Correct. the chord progressions, a one, chord four, five. chord chord structure. Yeah, okay. I heard Jason Bloom say something in a writer's workshop Brilliant, that really yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. He said that the structure of a song is the package you're using to deliver your message, and why do you want to make it hard to open? Oh, hey. And I thought that was a great that is way very to good. put it. Yeah. That there is something very important about being direct. And, you know, with all respect to Rick Beato, if there's too much information in your music, it's not going to sink in, it's not going to communicate. Okay. And one has to be open to music that takes a little work to get into. And the fact is, we don't always want that. We don't, You know, sometimes it, you just want to feel... We have I mean, that immediate gratification kind well, of thing. Well, but it's not even that. I'm on a blues kick right now. Right? Are you? So I was listening to T-Bone Walker on the <laughs> And, like, there is something so satisfying. Oh, yeah. out there all day yeah because experience oh don't put that down okay. we're gonna play a song that is a <laughs> it's just a good it feels good and yeah. see that i i've become convinced as i get older that a lot of our relationship to music has to do with our visceral physical responses and that the music that you like either if you are a more intellectual person you want that part of your brain lit up but we all need to move one way or another Mm-hmm. And it's so I, you know, again, a shout out to my Louisiana friends because when I moved south and I started playing with rhythm sections from the Good. Gulf Coast and yeah. from Louisiana and from Texas and deep south, 
Mm-hmm. There is a pocket. We were talking about Steely Dan before and how mm-hmm. Steely Dan always had a New York sound, mm-hmm. which is this very precise, very... And look, I'm a New Yorker. I will, I will you know, say for the rest of my life, and I'm proud of that. But my timing and my pocket got better and deeper when I started hanging out with Southern rhythm sections. Wow. And it's just because there's just a different way of feeling the beat. So, you know, the first time you actually experience not Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street with all the tourists, but just a parade, one of the many mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge over the course of carnival season. And when those drummers go by and when that marching, those horns go by and they, you know, growing up in Long Island, this was not on my radar. Mm-hmm. But growing up down there, heck yeah, I'd be I'd be wanting to play a horn, sure you play would. the drum, march in. The, I mean, why would you not want to be in the middle of that? Like exactly. a bucket list thing for me. I want to go to Brazil for carnival. <laughs> you know, when it was all of that going on, because it's just you know, it's Mardi Gras party blown up to huge. Oh yeah, but it's a, a feeling, a pocket. Mm-hmm. So we're not really responding that much to chords and harmony. We're not in contemporary music. It's all gone to rhythm. It has because. And if if, if yeah. I could just in, in, intercede here, it seems like today, and, and to me, it started with, uh, and maybe I'm totally off base on this. Coldplay will take a music mo- motif, just a nice, beautiful little piece, and then hammer that to death. Don't change it up for thirty uh, for three minutes and right. thirty seconds. Just keep hammering that same little musical phrase over and over and over. <laughs> again until we're all sick of it and it seems to me that that's what is happening in pop music today again I might be off base and I'm not criticizing if you like that kind of music that's great I like to open my mind all kinds of music Um, but that's what it seems like to me today am I wrong? No I mean I I will say in Coldplay's defense that I see Coldplay (laughs) spiritual children of U2 and Radiohead okay and so U2 kind of to me patented the song long crescendo ah by the way, one, five, six, minor, four. Wait. Wrong key, but so I'm thinking yeah. about with or without you. Yeah. 1984, for those of you who were five, whatever. Um, but, like, I get that same kind of slow burn, build it up yeah. atmosphere thing, except that Coldplay's version is being post Nirvana grunge. Right. Loud part, loud part, loud part, quiet. Loud part, loud part, loud part, quiet part, quiet part. Right? Because of... (laughs) Of course. That wasn't happening 10 years before that. See, I'm a geek about this stuff because I'm kind of a scholar of pop music and I find it interesting. But I agree with you about the repetition. And my theory about that is that it's because, or at least, you know, like, I don't remember, Clocks came out. That's probably the early 2000s. Okay. So... We're already 20 years of digital, plus, well, got 30 years of digital recording. And you look at the way that songs are written these days, top line writing, for example, excuse me, which means that the producer has already written everything about the song except the part you can own, <laughs> which is the melody and the lyric. Right. But, you know, they've, fur- they've furnished a room for you to come and live in. Except you notice that in pop music, a lot of the time, the producer 
is the star and the singer is somebody who's being featured. Right. It's like the Glenn Miller Orchestra with soloist so-and-so. Well, and, um, we had a guest not only in season yeah. one who, who really has made a living out of doing that. Yeah. He's produced these wonderful tracks that people like Alicia Keys and mm-hmm. some of these other big pop stars have put music to, uh, words to, and have had, he had three hits in, in three different genres. Yeah. And I mean, and in, all respect to that. Yeah, all respect to I'm that. I'm not putting that down <laughs> and people who are I'm good at either. it. Yeah, and he's good at it. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not the music that I enjoy personally, but if you look at what's out there right now, mm-hmm. and you said, what is sonically the most interesting mm-hmm. in terms of, if you interviewed 100 people, the thing they're listen- things they're listening to, mm-hmm. I would say that sonically, the only things that are trying to do something different or new in any way would be in pop and in EDM, electronica in general, and hip-hop. Okay. That innovation in our genres is its almost like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Because what everyone seems to be doing, and I've wondered about this for a long time, you now have two generations that have grown up, or, yeah, two generations that have grown up with all of recorded music at your fingertips. That's true. Which is really cool. Yeah. That means you can be influenced It's all right by here on my phone, yeah. right here. Yeah. Whatever yeah. the heck you want to hear, you can hear it. So that's, that's going to have an impact. You take 20, 30, 40 years of that, where the, everyone's musical world is their own little universe they've built. That's going to lead to something interesting mm-hmm. when a prince gets a hold of that. Yeah. When a Paul McCartney gets a hold of that. Right. You know, like, where are those people going to go? And I think there are people out there that are doing really good and interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just that the nature of things like producing tracks for someone to sing over can fall into an assembly line very easily. Oh, yeah, I and think about the way you do it. It's like with Legos. Uh-huh. You build blocks, loop. This comes in, that goes out. It's mm-hmm. interesting, when I was teaching college... All on the computer screen in front of you. Yeah, uh-huh. I was teaching a music theory class to audio production majors. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids were already producing, but it was primarily hip-hop, R&B, electronica, EDM. Mm-hmm. And... So their concept of how you put something together is that you string, you have basically a repeating cycle of chords, or one chord. Maybe it's just little rhythmic loops, and you add it, you introduce elements, and you bring them out. You introduce a different element, you bring it out. So the change of it is sonic, never chordal, never harmonic, and melodic, because once the top line's there... But it's almost like we're just going to hang out on one chord and the sonics are going to change. I remember um, really uh, experiencing that and and digging that with uh, New Age in in progressive music, late 70s, early 80s. And there was Um, a place for that. There's a place for that. Absolutely. Hey, before we solve all the, try to solve all the problems of music, I want to hear another song. We have one of the best guitar players here. And I tell you, if you are learning guitar and if you've been on uh, YouTube and searching for the lessons that are out there, you've definitely seen our guest, Dave Isaacs. He's the Nashville guitar guru, a mentor, a teacher to so many artists here in town, and a fantastic guitar player. Uh, play us something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. My doctor said you got to chill. Can't fix your problem with a pill. This apoplexy makes you rude. You got to change your attitude. So I gave up whiskey, cheese, and meat. Probiotic germ of wheat Ate the nuts and squeezed the juice 
drank the smoothies to the roots And it's the darndest thing it worked Cause I was calmer than the Dalai Lama And I rose above all of the melodrama Then I got rear-ended by this hippie chick In the day glow green and pollen She said, ain't nothing but a thing That ain't nothing but a ding no, you ain't no kind of fool, don't lose your cool It ain't nothing but a thing She said, why don't you come with me? I got yoga mats and herbal tea the Chamomile went to my head Next thing I knew, it was in bed, Lord have mercy Took that carpet ride I woke up mystified Laying right beside me Was the note she left behind I said Ain't nothing but a thing This ain't nothing but a fling Why you wanna be a fool Don't lose your cool It ain't nothing but a thing Now all this contemplation Got me craving something sweet They got Mississippi mud pie The place just up the street Burn the toast and then commence to cry. And I told her, you know, I learned something today. Ain't nothing but a thing. Ain't nothing but a thing. No, you ain't no kind of fool. Don't lose your cool. It ain't nothing but a thing. Ain't nothing but a thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, nothing but a thing. Dave Isaacs is our guest, the Nashville guitar guru. You play that thing. Tell me about that guitar. That's a beautiful guitar. This is an Ayers. Ayers. G4. <clears throat> it is a Dreadnought guitar. Ayers is a, well, the company is based in Taiwan. The luthier that found it is Australian. It has hmm. Ayers, named for Ayers Rock. See, for me, if it was, it would be with an E, Ayers, E-R-R. Hmm. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yes, I'll, we'll just let that go. I, I don't have my rim shot ready. You might have it in your sound effects. You're a radio guy. Uh, yeah, you got radio. your cards queued up? <laughs> no. I... Um, and I got this guitar. Uh, 
Do you know Andy and Ren Renfrey? I do. You know, and they live right around the corner. I just found out last night. Okay. So, We're like neighbors. Yeah, so we did a couple of projects together. Um, did a couple, did uh, an EP and an album together. And they had had an endorsement with this company from their previous group, Tubit Palomino. Oh, wow. And uh, so we ended up, Ren and I both got instruments from them. And this is a wonderful. Beautiful. Guitar. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Basically, it's the only instrument, the only guitar I've ever been given an hmm. endorsement. And they built it to spec. Wow. And uh, the only thing is that you know, I had to have that mother of pearl swipe up the back. I and love then, that. And uh, then we did a couple of tours together, mm-hmm. uh, Andy and Ren and I. And the second one, I think we went from Nashville to Dallas to Santa Fe, New Mexico, up into Southern Colorado, back down to Houston. Wow. And so the elevation change of this trip was, you know, about 10,000 feet up and down. You know, in and that can affect an instrument, yes. And the guitar. Oh, split on oh, both no. sides of that strip which of course no. if I just had a solid it would might not have done that and of course you know I wasn't thinking and whatever all my guitars are beat to heck because <laughs> I play them you play them so you know and I'm when did you first fall in love with that instrument um, not that particular one guitar, but the guitar I, okay so I was 14 and yeah. my mother insists I don't remember this but this is how she tells the story that she said to me you have to do something with yourself this summer <laughs> You're not just going to hang around. Go to summer camp. No, I don't think. You know what You know, I'm just urchin running around. Long Island, you spend, as a, a kid, you spend a lot of time in parking lots and sumps and <laughs> behind buildings. <laughs> What's a sump? It's where the rainwater goes. It's like a pond, except it's not a pond. <laughs> but you can fish in it. And... Uh, I didn't know that. Didn't I knew of sub pumps, but not a sub. Yeah, no, that's, okay. that's, that's, that's what the kids called it. I'll meet you at the sump. Uh, <laughs> so she said, do something with yourself. And she says that I said, okay, I'll play guitar. Wow. And I know that I had just been getting, I always loved music. Um, I played piano as a younger kid for a bit, but I didn't take to lessons. I didn't like the structure of it. Except for when my mom found a teacher. My parents were definitely folkies. Mm. And I mean like pre-Dylan folkies. So, you okay. know, I grew up. Pete Seeger records and the Weavers and, yeah. and uh, I mentioned my mom being Easter, from Eastern Kentucky so uh, a lot of mountain stuff like pre-bluegrass Gene Ritchie and things like that wow. um, you know Roots Music oh yeah beautiful you know that, <clears throat> yeah. that sort of thing um, so I was aware of like guitar-based music in that way, and I was just starting to listen to to pop music. And, you know, 13, 14, this is about the time I need something to help me be cooler, and the guitar was a good way to do that. Oh, yeah, you're definitely cool then. But but I took to it, like, it, when I look at it back now, you know, I do think, and I wrote about this in the book, which we'll get to, um, that I think it was, to some degree, yes, this makes me socially acceptable in a way that I wasn't before, mm-hmm. like strikingly so, <laughs> but also that it gives me a place to put this energy that I have nowhere else to put. And it's a thing that I can just disappear into. So it's and that's I had what a you conversation did. not too long ago with a student who had been a professional drummer most of his life. And when he retired, he took up acoustic guitar just for fun. I mean, I know musicians don't retire, but I mean, he wasn't doing that anymore. (laughs) And he was talking about the kinesthetic enjoyment. That was the phrase he used. Of just... So deep. 
before we started, I was talking, uh, before we got the mics running, I was talking about how I'm obsessed with drummers and drumming. And for years, I've taught guitar as a percussion instrument. I was going to say, and it's getting more and more so today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's something else that's mm-hmm. an interesting development is all these... Oh yeah! All kinds of slamming on the guitar. Yes, doing that stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and these guys don't even need loop pedals anymore. They just do it. They just just yeah. They put all that percussion oh, in. It's fan- I mean, it's it is a style unto itself. No, people have pushed. It's a tiny sliver of like you know, the rock music and guitar music in general is not culturally dominant anymore. It's barely culturally relevant, Sad, true. except for nostalgia to sell stuff. Yeah. Um, to qualify that there are lots of young people out there like I don't think there's been a generation before that doesn't hate their parents music mm. and and a lot of whom will freely say oh no your your music was better <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, they do. You know, whatever it is that they appreciate about it I mean I'm sorry it's, Queen is still great I yes. don't care when you were born so are the Beatles so are a thousand other things yes absolutely you know yeah so was Prince so was Earth Wind and Fire you bet all of this stuff so anyway yeah. um that idea of the physical enjoyment of playing the instrument. And I think about a drummer who is using all four limbs, and clearly most kids who pick up the drums are a kid whose parents said, you have too much energy, you need to do something with that. And I don't get how drummers do that. They've got a, all four limbs going at different things. And if you're trying to sing on top of that, come on. Yeah. And Except, chew gum. <laughs> and, and that's true. And this is not to minimize any of that, because in playing any instrument, really, I you're doing drummers. that to some degree, mm. because you have to be able to keep track of some kind of musical rhythmic reference and what you're doing, yep. and you learn later on what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. You can't tune it out. You know, It's one of the things that you know I coach a lot of artists and one of the things I tell people all the time is, look, you don't have to be a great guitar player. No. It's not about that. You just need enough to get by, but you do need to be able to lead your band. And the fact that you're not a great guitar player does not preclude you from knowing enough about what you need from them to communicate it. Got and it. I have always maintained that musicians, side players, and I say this with love and respect, okay, because I'm just a little too ornery myself to be a good side man. <laughs> Not that the skills are there in terms of the music. I'd still just rather do my own thing, and it took me too many years to figure that out. But with that said, a good sideman is like a border collie. Good directions and a job well done, everybody's happy. But if the directions aren't clear, and this is, I mean, you've probably come across this. It's funny, we were talking earlier about how some people in the songwriting community seem to be suspicious of musical knowledge because they feel like, well, that's not what I'm after I'm after this ineffable truth and you can know everything there is to know about music and it's not going to lead you there and that's absolutely true mm-hmm. you know as a songwriter myself I absolutely believe that as so a writer do you think as a writer it's important to know the theory uh, no no I don't think it's important <clears throat> these um, days I can't seem to get enough of music theory well but the, the, it's I don't see why you want to learn something as a skill and decide that this aspect of that skill is irrelevant to you. I find that ridiculous. Well, you have a master's degree in music. I do, yes. So you had to learn that. I had to learn it. It was, yeah, there was, uh, I remember Rudiment's class, and our our professor was somewhat intimidating because he would go around the room very, very, very quickly. And it was like (laughs) kindergarten with flashcards. Key signature for A major, and he was like, in your face. So you had to... (laughs) But yes, I had to learn it. I was immersed in it. And one of the things I tell people now is that you can't have the mindset that you can learn it all 
because you can't be immersed in all these things at once. But you can look for commonalities between the things you already know. So if you have written now 12 songs that have the same chord progression, maybe it wouldn't hurt for you to recognize that all you have to do is replace one of those with something else. Mm. And that, ooh, now that you've done that, why don't you try singing a different note? Because you might have already noticed that you could sing the same note and that chord's work, that chord works just fine. I mean, theory to me is a toolbox. Gotcha. And if you view songwriting as a craft and you want to be the great savant who everything is a direct channel from your creative <laughs> muse, God bless you. I'm envious. You know, it should be so easy. Yeah. You and I both know, anyone listening to this with any interest in songwriting knows, is looking, is going, if you think it's easy, sorry. And every one of them is saying, yeah, I'll sit up there on a mountaintop, Mr. Guru, and get my inspiration. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that for me, and it doesn't work like that for me either. Now, you have a lot of students that, that, that you uh, that you mentor, uh, artists, and they all come with different needs and wants. Yes. Uh, so how do you start, you know, um, uh, with them? When you have a new student, what, what, what well, do you do? The needs and wants aren't all that different. No? They really aren't. What do they want from you? Well, okay. <clears throat> Most people who come in say they just want to play that. Mm-hmm. That's way too broad. Yeah, that's okay. pretty general. So yeah. my immediate response is, well, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What's exciting? Mm-hmm. What, what lights you up to think about doing it? For some people, the idea of playing in front of people is absolutely horrifying, and they don't ever want to do it. For other people, it's, I want to be able to accompany myself competently. I don't want to have to hire somebody every time I have a radio interview, yeah. every time I do a writer's round. And or a podcast or, or yeah anything else <laughs> and uh, and look I've I've benefited myself from being that person that has to show up and help you do it but at this point I just as soon show you how to do it mm. um, so there's fundamentals that everybody needs you need to be able to keep a groove you need to have a decent pocket a vocabulary of chords enough flexibility that you can you can give a performance without being thrown off your game because something unexpected happened and Past that, it's a question of what vocabulary you really want to use. Because, I mean, I have a real gripe with the fact that there's all this information out there on the internet is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And had I had those resources available to me and I didn't have to go into the music store, look in the book and write chords down on my hand, Mm -hmm. uh, then great. (laughs) But what it's done is you have all these people that are alone all the time and all this information with no filter and you're being told by people who can do this stuff really, really well, you need all of this to know this, and that is a crock. <laughs> well, you know, if you're serious about guitar playing, you need to know your modes. Please, I want to smack you. Yeah. It's like, no, if you want to learn how to play an instrument, and then within the range of that, I mean, I'm a guitar player, and I'm also getting old enough that when I drop names, you might recognize them. I can't be sure that everyone out there listening Bob in Dylan Podland, told me never to drop names, so you know, I, I don't. When I started teaching college is when I first felt like I really am of another generation, because that, to me, was contemporary, and to you, oh, my grandma does that, you know? So, and, but, you know, with that said... I, I told you I was listening to Team Will Walker on the way over here, T-Bone. which is a direct line to me to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, you know that. Ooh, that, do that. right? Mm-hmm. But muddy waters. Oh yeah. Was muddy waters great? Was great. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Was John Lee Hooker great? How many chords did John Lee Hooker know? Uh, three. <laughs> 
Jimmy Buffett said once, I'm not a great guitar player, I'm not a great singer, I'm not a great songwriter, I'm a great Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, there you go. And God bless him for that, and I think he is a great songwriter, actually, because he too. found a way to encapsulate and capture something that he became the voice of. Wow. And single-handedly, whether you like Tropic Country or not, you have to blame him for it. He created his own genre. He did. Yeah. And we, that's a fantastic We, we thing. talk about that but, a lot. You know, my point being is that you... I kind of evangelize to people at this point because mm-hmm. when I tell them is what you want is to find your musical home you and get to the point where you can get up there and feel good doing what you're doing. And the way you're going to do that is to put aside everything you've been told you're supposed to know and recognize that what you're supposed to know is what you need to say what you need to say. Mm-hmm. And if you're not as articulate as you would like to be... Yeah. So what? Neither am I. <laughs> you know, I mean... and, and or, Find something that works for you. Easy right? for you to say, Isaac. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, make, I make more mistakes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's... Yes, there's lots I can show you that you go, oh, well, you did all this. I had the luxury, and I mean luxury, of being able to devote myself to playing the guitar for a solid eight, ten years of my life where that was my primary responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if... If you think I don't recognize what a cushy life that is, <laughs> my concept of stress at 24, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> you know, but, you know, I got to where I got because I had the ability to do that. Yeah. And that's only one way you get there. How did the Beatles get there? Hamburg. How many years? Three years, seven Playing days a night. week, yep. twelve hours a day. You can't How many help songs but get you think you play. And tight. And that's yeah. right. Yeah. So point is, you have performed an action so much mm-hmm. that it is now second nature. But and if you can if you don't have the time to practice eight hours a day. Right. What what do you say? That you you have to drill down to what's important. And mm-hmm. what's important is just a handful of things. Number one, can you keep a beat? Mm-hmm. Can you do something against it that doesn't fight that beat but goes with it in a way that your body is happy to move to it? Mm-hmm. And do you have enough of a vocabulary that you don't feel like you're saying the same thing over and over? And can your fingers move around with a degree of dexterity? Gotcha. I mean, that's a very, very, very broad way to put it. Good. But the thing is, if I can teach, like first lesson, if I teach somebody an E minor chord, and some people can't even do this first off, mm-hmm. so then I just teach you to do this. And everyone's immediate thing is, and this is a theory that I have, but it ties into the drummer talking about the experiential, it feels good to move like this, that some people go to the guitar and immediately the entire body <laughs> clamps around it. Yeah. Because it's just, you, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Whereas the eight-year-old kid who just goes, this is so cool, yeah. is going, Robbie, I just maxed out your level of joy. Doesn't care that they don't know what they're doing. So here's the thing. It just feels good. It does just feel good. So rather than being driven by what they think they're supposed to know or what they think they're supposed to be able to do, they're being driven by chasing something. Mm-hmm. Experientially, this feels good. And as many things as I know how to do on a guitar, this is still deeply satisfying. Go ahead, man. Play us one. Burn us one. But I'm not going to write that song. (laughs) Because we've all written that song. A friend of mine used to call this the hamster wheel. 
every beginning songwriter has one. I I, I go to the, uh, the the songwriter rounds a lot, and I you can just count them yeah. every night. You're going to hear. GCD. And I, with all respect to Taylor Swift, sometimes they put a capo on. I think Taylor probably inspired. I read this somewhere, and I think this is true. Yeah, that Taylor is responsible for as many guitar sales as Eddie Van Halen was. Oh, you know, I believe it. Just goes. I can believe it. So I'm not going to put that down. But the Taylor chord vocabulary, where you keep these two fingers down, and you go on the G. Yeah. There's a name for that chord, right? Well, they're all names, but. So there's lots you can do with that. So, yeah. with that said, uh, you were about to say play something, so I'm going to yeah. head in that direction. Go. <laughs> um, and I will... And then we're going to talk about your books. Yes. Man. What's the uh, the Who song? I'm singing this note because it fits in That's well, right. right? So I love I'm album. playing this chord because it uh-huh. fits in well with the way I'm feeling. I wrote this song and with you're in Jeff tune. Walter, <laughs> who has three songs. On this record that we wrote together, Chugle, Chuglin record. Uh, yes, Chugle, Chugle. The new so album. This is called "I Like What I See." I open my eyes 
what I hear. Thank you. David Isaacs, our guest, Songwriter Connection is the podcast. Thanks again for uh, downloading and taking a listen today. That's from the new CD that just came out here early October. Chugal and uh, co-written with, who did you say? Jeff Walter. Jeff Walter. And Walter. Walter. And I will say, we were talking earlier when you played Dodo and Crow at the outset, and I was talking mm-hmm. about writing with Steve Trombley and how I don't yeah. really like to just write it in three hours and leave it be. Mm-hmm. I mean, partly because the way Steve and I would write <clears throat> is we'd kind of come up with a character or a phrase. And uh, we had quite a few co-writing sessions that just continued on to the idle hour and then <laughs> yeah, sort of keep Bobby. fleshing out the character <laughs> at the bar. And so, yeah, um, I've had that those days. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I work with the music for a while. And Jeff will sometimes send me a completed lyric or he'll send me a verse and then we'll kind of hash out the rest of it. I like what I see. We had written it with a completely different lyric, and it was called So Far, So Good. Isn't that um, And we ended up losing the chorus, wrote a new hook, new chorus, kept most of the verses, and I probably sent him four or five different versions mm. musically before it settled into where I wanted it to be. And that's the whole thing about having the theoretical knowledge, is if I know I'm not, I'm not being lit up by what I'm doing here, this is not interesting to me, and it's just... And this is what I tell my students. All you have to do is continually be able to ask yourself, is there something else I could do here and go looking for it? That's it. That's it. And whether you know Explore. what it's called or not <laughs> isn't so much the point. But if you know what it's called, not only can you use it the next time, but when you go and you're working with the musician who's going to be your session leader, you're going to say, so I need you to go to the minor seven on this one. Right. 
I mean, what? You just, know, and, and, and uh, you talked about the Beatles before. It, it, there's a perfect example. If you listen to some of these early Beatles records, and they're kids, they're 22, 21 yeah, years old, yeah. and, and and they have these progressions where these chords are in there, and you go, now, theory-wise, you'd go, well, how would that ever fit? But they didn't think about it that way. Well. No, they didn't. To them, it sounded great. You know, um, and they, what they did was revolutionize the industry, yeah. the well, whole the way music is done. Here's you know, the thing, though, yeah, that when you listen intuitively and then you start to apply the theory, you recognize that if it sounds good, I can explain it. Yeah, you might think it breaks the rules. It doesn't, because if you have a superficial understanding of theory, here's where I'm going to go. And this is not even waving my fancy New York City <laughs> degree around, because not everyone who went to school with me thinks this way either. But, you know, theory is just giving you a set of explanations why things work. And I guess that's why I'm confused. I, I'm, I'm very curious on why things work. I've always been yeah. that way, you know. Well, so, I mean, there is the actual math of if you look at the frequency of this note and the frequency of this note, the frequency of the higher note is exactly, is exactly double the first. So mm-hmm. there is... An octave has a certain mathematical relationship, as does a fifth. A lot of this math. is what Pythagoras yeah. documented, right? right? But it's not so much that. It's that we have culturally agreed upon norms in what our music sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ultimately, all our music is a combination of a European classical approach to harmony and an African approach to rhythm. And wow. that's all popular music wow. is in some way mixing those two things because Mozart never would have <laughs> he would probably have dug it mm-hmm. I would imagine but it was he probably would have his universe did not include that now think about we were talking about the kid who can download anything in all of creation what can Mozart hear right I mean his musical world as sophisticated as it is was very small and if you ever played piano at a Anyone out there who took lessons as a kid and got to the point where you were doing... In New York, we had the Nisma Festival where you like learn the piece that was on the list and get evaluated. And if you were doing that stuff, you know that there are seven or eight different Mozart sonatas that are all basically the same. And the one everybody plays goes... Right? Yeah. But, but there's ten more that do basically that. And that, that music has a formula, even though it's sophisticated. As much as pop music has a formula, a norm, and your, your audience expects to hear certain things. Very interesting. Right? Very curious. Um, and, you know, people can get into all the, you know, I, I'm not a good academic because I'm not real good at proving my hypotheses. <laughs> I just throw them out there. But, <laughs> but you're a very time, good teacher. I mean, there is, maybe it's a cultural norm we decided because it doesn't exist el- elsewhere in other cultures, mm-hmm. that this sound creates forward motion that if I start here I am at rest and if I go here you now hear a big musical comma that needs to resolve and that I can change that chord by changing the setting of it I can take this chord and make it wow and now that dissonant chord feels like home, uh-huh. right? So there is this relative system in which when you put two chords together, 
they're telling your ear what you should expect to happen next or what might happen next. And we've all kind of agreed on what those are. So, you know, what the Beatles did was say, well, why can't we just use that instead of that? It still sounds good. Yeah. Because sometimes we're just swapping, you know, orange for red, Mm -hmm. you know, or for, you know, lack of a better way to put it. Colors. Um, You know what I mean? It really is just shading. Like, what is the difference between doing this? shade there's a flavor you don't Mm -hmm. have to know what to call it right it helps to know what to call it if you want to communicate with somebody else that's Mm. all but you know what the Beatles did was hear that oh if I use this note instead of that note just because the book says it's not in the key doesn't mean it can't borrow it and then you start recognizing that guess what real music all over the place breaks the rules all the, all time. the time because all key is and I, I, this is where I can't prove the hypothesis right mm-hmm. but that we really do experience music as being one of two ways it's linear mm-hmm. classical music is linear it has a beginning a middle and an end right the blues is circular we're just going to hang out here. We can hang out here all day. And play all crazy. Well, I wish Real I was a catfish. <laughs> in the deep blue sea. And I mean, yeah. we can hang out there. But it doesn't bring you somewhere the way a chord progression does. right? And you were talking, the, the, first, the way we started this conversation was talking about these chord cycles in pop music. do it like that that sounds more Americana right? mm-hmm. or something like that right. I, I got drive-by truckers in my head for <laughs> Love but it. if I go these are the same chords by the way <laughs> yeah much more interesting yeah and just Stylistically, what did we change? The exactly. Rhythm, the yeah. rhythm, which is, what does it feel like? So, you know, I'm still trying to refine my TED Talk, and obviously I haven't because we've been all, you know, sprawling all over the place. And uh, I'll love to see that TED Talk. students what my lectures were like, and they'll say, yes. Yeah, and it's kind of the way I mow the lawn, too. It's like, we start here, we do a little this, we do three or four passes, and then... <laughs> How does a musician cut the lawn? Right, exactly. Dave, I, wrote, I actually wrote a blog about that. <laughs> did you Yes. You know, uh, it's so good to talk to you. I could just talk for hours and hours about music and, and where you're coming. But I want to make sure we get things in. Like, yes. you've got this book that came out uh, a couple years ago. Yes. I want to plug that. Uh, yes. tell, me, tell us about your book. Okay, so. Okay. This is uh, this is called The Perpetual Beginner. You know what? I love that concept. That's kind of like me. It resonates. When I thought of it, it resonated with everybody I brought it up with, including myself. And what it really relates to is two things. The fact that I made reference before to no matter how much I know on the guitar, there's still lots I don't. Yeah. That I can always find something else to practice. I could point to any number of a thousand things somebody else can do better than me. Mm. But also the fact that as a beginner, you are less encumbered by the knowledge of what you can and can't do. Because you can't do any of it, so you don't care. 
<laughs> and people talk about beginner's luck. People talk about there's just a whole different mindset. And as Jan Buckingham, our recent guest, said, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Right. And I did. Right. <laughs> but I did. Exactly. And yeah. that's the same deal with the Beatles, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what the book is actually a memoir in the sense that I am telling stories about when I was a student um, and essentially just looking at what were the situations and the interactions that shaped the way I look at music and why is that relevant to you? Mm-hmm. And the reason it's relevant to you is that I learned things about music in from... I was very fortunate to have really amazing teachers. And it's not even a question of the fancy school. It's just a question of who I happen to be able to interact with. And then some of those things, some of these teachers were people I went to see a show. Mm. You know, and you took something away from that. Like, just formative things that made an impression. Um, but looking at now... 30 years down the line, what are the things I do every day in my work as a musician that are that came from those lessons? What are those absolute fundamentals? And so each chapter in the book is telling a story, but is also kind of focusing on and the chapter title. So the first one is called Why We Play. And wow. that's me looking at being a teenager and starting to learn how to play and um, you know how I wanted to first be Eric Clapton and then Jimmy Page and um, you know all those things. But how it also, it gave me a place to belong. It gave me a way to excel that was not going to get me ostracized by my peers. And it gave me a physical degree of enjoyment and satisfaction, even though I couldn't. It didn't matter whether I could do it well or not. It just was Mm. something, something that was like natural to my body. So kind of getting back to the thing about what I tell people when they come in. Uh, one thing I find a lot with singers is that singers know how to Im- inhabit their body when they're singing. And now you strap a guitar on and now you've got this box hanging around your neck and all your attention is out here because you're trying to figure out how to coordinate your fingers and suddenly you can't sing anymore. Right. And so what I always tell people is, no, you have to make friends with it. You have to find a way to physically feel good with it. And if you can't, get another one. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it was Grandma's Gibson Dove and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous instrument, but if it's making you play with your right shoulder up by your ear, you're never going to play it well. That's right. So the book is called The Perpetual Beginner. I can't wait to read this. Is this for me? That is for you. I do appreciate that. And uh, boy, this is a great book. And you can pick it up and look for that. Dave Isaacs, who's our yeah, guest today. On, it's on the, you know, he who shall not be named and any other place that you buy things. It's all out <laughs> it's there. there. As well as your CD, which they can as get well everywhere. As well as my right, CD, right, yes. You get uh, music. And then you did some, uh, you you composed uh, some I music did. in 2020. I composed. He's a composer now. No, composed just means that we didn't write lyrics. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right. And right. Then, okay. You know. <laughs> so uh, tell me about that. That was okay. 2020. And this so is a- my, I mentioned my, my schooling that I was a classical guitarist in college. And I really <laughs> thought I was going into that world, even though in retrospect, it's absurd for me to think that I was because I can't sit still for 40 minutes and play a recital <laughs> and glare at people in the audience for I, I couldn't either. You know? <laughs> no. um, I, I'm just, I need to move. If you've ever seen me on stage, everybody knows that this is what I do. I, right. I am not a stand-up. And I swear, I, I, I apologize to anybody that's been offended by the fact that I stand up and stomp my feet at a writer's night, okay? Because, like, I, I know it's that. supposed to be about the song, but you know what? I'm having fun, and it feels good, and they like it, so just chill, please. Chill. <laughs> And have fun. It's about songs. Yes, I know it's about the song, but if you play it badly, <laughs> forget it. Yeah, as Jason Bloom would say, you have delivered it in a crap package. <laughs> right? 
Okay. But, um, <laughs> so it's a physical thing for me. And now I picked up the classical guitar again at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Because, oh my God, I'm stuck home. And I've written this book called The Perpetual Beginner. And I should mention that when I finished my master's degree in 1993, I decided that I was going to enter the Guitar Foundation of America competition. And if you win this thing, you get a debut recital at Carnegie Hall. It's wow. a big deal. Mm, yeah, and, it is. You know, it's the kind of thing that is career-making if you win it. So I spent the winter of 93, 94 practicing a good eight hours a day. Wow. And, you know, it, it, those of you who were around then, especially if you lived in the Northeast, that was a bad winter for storms. Mm. Um so, you know, I didn't really go out very much. By spring, I couldn't move my hands. Oh, God. So I had developed a serious repetitive strain injury that it oh, took no. me a lot of years to kind of bounce back from. Wow. And I basically was at a point where I'd stopped playing for several months and then decided, did I want to start rebuilding my classical technique or did I want to pick up an electric guitar and join a band? Which I did. Mm. And so here it is. It's 20-some, almost 30 years later. And I think, you know... I never quite got those chops back, and I'd kind of like to go back and revisit that. And so I started, I mean, actually, it started before the pandemic, but the pandemic is when it really got intense. And I started going through my freshman year repertoire, and a year and a half later, I can play a good chunk of it, and I've really been enjoying doing it. Um, but it's the first time in my life I'm doing it purely for myself, and it does not matter. No one's going to judge it. No one's going to tell me how I'm supposed to do it. I can just do it. Mm. And... There is a tradition in classical guitar of, of guitarists writing, teaching music. In classical music in general, etudes are just studies. But the idea is that it's more interesting to play an actual piece of music that makes you work out a technique than it is to just do an exercise. And I was working with also, I mean, just finger style in general. I had two goals. I wanted to be able to play some of the Spanish music I used to play oh, I love um, it. Yeah. in college. Beautiful. Which I love. I mean, it's, it's that that that's soul music to me too. Mm, boy, that's I, I mentioned my melange mongrelness. That's in there too. So mm. When I got to go to Spain, it was after college, and it was just I, my whole head opened up. And I love the the flamenco and everything. About oh, I bet. Um, see, it's all that same thing. I love Spain, and, it, and New Orleans is also a Spanish city, even though it's a French city. Right? <laughs> I so, knew that because <laughs> it well burned to the ground, and when it was rebuilt, it was Spanish architecture because it was under Spanish rule. But anyway, gotcha. so. I was also really trying to learn how to use a thumb pick because I wanted to once and for all I'm not doing that very well but that's the idea kind of the Travis picking how to use a thumb pick yeah. like Doc Watson Jimmy Doc Watson. Reed style yeah beautiful and I'm getting to the point now where at least I can play with the thumb pick without it feeling weird mm -hmm. because if you're used to classical you use the very tip of your thumbnail whereas the thumb pick I've got it down the middle of my thumb which is actually more efficient and more powerful so you get more sound and you don't have to do as much so I really like a thumb pick and I've been watching you know Merle Travis and Doc Watson and all these old blues players that use one finger mm -hmm. and hear me with my fancy classical technique thinking you know what I have to explore this too Mm -hmm. And so, so much to explore in that instrument. But I'm doing a 
lot more kind of jumping around with one finger that I never would have done if I was just thinking like a classical player. So, anyhow. In, so, getting back to this yes. composition. So, uh, it's during COVID. And so, I'm sitting out. It's called what? What is it called? It's called Five Etudes for Solo Guitar, which is being hoity toity, but I decided that's what it is. That's what it is. And, and I also thought, well, I don't really want to name them. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, so, there's so, five different. There's five different pieces, and I asked. A friend of mine, Krista Schoenbrot, who is a designer, who actually designed my book, did the book cover, to do some designs for the inside. And so not only did she do the cover design, but there's also little images that go with each piece, these little line drawings that she did. And that's actual sheet music of all of these compositions. Notes and tablature. Great. And the the only thing about it is I, I want to do another edition because it's not full size like sheet music. I'd like it to be a little bigger because uh-huh. my now, my so, middle aged eyes are not very happy. Um, and, and, also and I don't imagine there's there's national numbers uh, no, no, conversions. No national numbers. Okay. Sorry. Um, and I also have new ones I've written, and I think I want to do a second edition. So cool. And yeah. a lot of this is just sitting with the guitar and improvising but improvising simply and looking for melody so I'll play a bit of this Composition from Dave Isaacs, our guest on the Songwriter Connection podcast. They call him the Nashville Guru, Guitar Guru, and there's uh, we think we found out why today. I'd like to have you back sometime just to talk about um, guitar, uh, just to help songwriters, you know, things like that. And then we could do a whole, maybe a whole show on on yeah, that. I have one thought though. I was even it was occurring to me as I was playing this, right? Mm-hmm. It was occurring to me as I was playing that 
all that's going on here, like if you notice my left hand, somebody commented once, they watched a video uh-huh. of my playing that I put it up on YouTube, which, by the way, YouTube channel is Nashville Guitar Guru. I was going to ask. I've got 23,000 subscribers. I want to get to 25. Help Please me out. Please do. Let's Help do it. Out. Yep, yep. Great and, uh, stuff on there, by and, the and way. I post lessons, song lessons, philosophical stuff. Um, Check it out. You'll yeah, love it. And you probably are watching it. So anyhow, I am. somebody commented, I never would have known from listening to it that you were in the open position pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. I'm in the first three frets. Yeah. And so what I'm doing is I'm finding melody by just, here's a G chord. Add a finger. Add a finger. Change a finger. Hit this string. Hit that string. Let go. Hit that string. My hands aren't doing much. But the emotion's there. Man, listen to that. So what makes it sound good is that the notes are ringing out, so you end up hearing melody. Um, I think the single biggest thing that helps songwriters is to recognize that when you want to, when you say you want to be able to do more with the guitar, there are two things you want to be able to do. One is to play more different rhythms. And the way to do that is to forget the idea of, quote, learning a new strum. Don't learn a new strum. Learn how to play rhythm. Learn how to coordinate rhythm against the drummer, against the drum beat, against the metronome, against your tapping foot, your nodding head, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that your swinging arm when you're playing a strum is just one and two and three and four and and I hit the strings or I don't. Ah. It's pretty straightforward. And then again, like I said, you start thinking like a drummer, which makes things very interesting because then you... Getting back to the instrument as a percussion instrument. Point being that I can show a drummer the vibe of a song very, very easily. I'm giving them the groove. And now what drums they hit, that's up to them how they translate it. But I mean, that's that single thing of don't learn a strum. Because a strum is a sequence of moves. Go down, go up, go down, go up. If you're looking at something on the internet, it's this D-U-D-U-D. You don't know what that rhythm is. Mm-hmm. It's not telling us anything, but do, 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 and you go, oh yeah, Jimmy Buffett on the beach, right? There you go. Or you know, I beg your pardon, Mama, what did you say? My mind is drifting on a martini. Could be Caribbean, whatever. Right. But that's a rhythm, not a strum. And that the other thing is to recognize that a chord is not a Lego block. Right? Right. Because this is how we're talking about contemporary electronic composers building with Lego blocks. And if you know what a MIDI view looks like, that's exactly what it is. And I'm not talking down about it. I'm just saying the nature of that kind of writing. Um, Except that for the songwriter with a limited number of guitar chords, every chord is a box. That's how we learn. And it's a great shortcut. But playing the piano, you know that a chord is actually three different notes, any one of which can be the melody. And so if I want to... Now I've added melody to a C chord, all I did was put a pinky down. <laughs> yes, you did. And getting back to the Taylor Swift songbook, if you can do this, then you can do this. Lift a finger. I mean, it gets back to that, Mm -hmm. just ask the question, what can I do differently? Never mind what you think you can and can't do, just do something else. And the last thing, because I could go on about this forever, but in terms of like the pillars, Mm -hmm. this is the other pillar. 
just because you don't know the right answer doesn't mean your opinion isn't valid. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to things like how the guitar feels in your hands, it's got to feel good. The way you hold your hand. I have seen more people get messed up by teachers that tell them something in a well-intentioned way, but either they're lacking in perspective, which is my big gripe with most people who teach guitar. And, you know, I'm sorry, after 30 years of doing this, I've got a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't. And, <laughs> I would think. And how people miss the mark, mm -hmm. you know. And one of those ways is to be so focused on the fingertips and the hit-the-target aspect mm -hmm. that actually feeling okay strumming the thing and making it feel good isn't something people think about, which is why the singers struggle. Right. And so the way you learn how to be a better uh, performer playing and singing is by just hanging out with your guitar and breathing and strumming and vocalizing and being as loose and relaxed as you can and finding what feels good. And if somebody tells you you're not supposed to do it that way, if it works, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I don't get along with purists of any stripe anywhere. I've never fit in any box I tried to climb into anyway. That's good. So, you know, it's you take... Well, what's, as the song goes, you take what you need and you leave the rest. rest. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. Well, so many, so many great uh, things here today in talking to you. We've talked for more than an hour, which is just absolutely amazing. And I feel like I can go on and on and on. So we'll have to have you back sometime. Are you, are you accepting new students right now? I know I you're, you're one yeah. of Nashville's best, the Nashville guru, Dave Isaacs. How, how do people reach you, Dave? NashvilleGuitarGuru.com. Okay. There you go. Go to his website, Nashville. And then all socials are Nashville Guitar Guru, so I'm easy to find. He is. Um, thankfully, you know, I've spent enough years trying to build up an internet presence, so if you search Dave Isaac's guitar, you will find me, and yes, even you if will. you spell it wrong, it's <laughs> That's, that's how well-known he is. Yes, that's Dave. right. G-List famous. <laughs> G-List David, thanks for taking the time and your busy so schedule. Me. This is great. Man, we'll have you back for sure. I really enjoyed talking with you and, and appreciate it. Join us next week on the Songwriter Connection podcast. And don't forget to check out that discoversooner.com. You won't be afraid. You won't be ashamed. You'll be, Thank you'll be you glad for you listening did. to the Songwriter Connection podcast. Find us on social media at Songwriter Connection. Also, listen to Dave Lanahan's Nashville Connections radio show. It streams live every Friday morning on WOBL and WNOI. Look for us on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time on Songwriter Connection.